Welcome to the Arise Church podcast, where we're awakening the world to the reality of Jesus. Hi everyone, Austin here. Really excited for these next few weeks, we are going to release a podcast series once a week on the kingdom of God. We're going to call this Conversations on the Kingdom, and it will go alongside our summer Bible study focus on the Sermon on the Mount. In future weeks, we will have conversation guests and people who will help me talk about the kingdom of God, but I am flying solo this week. So uh, I'm going to open up my notebook and share my initial thoughts on the kingdom of God and this important topic. I'm really excited about the subject of the kingdom because it brings so much to light about how to live out our faith in practical everyday lives. And the Sermon on the Mount is the largest concentration of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom. So if we're going to get the most out of our summer Bible study, and if we're going to know how to live our faith practically, then we will need a correct understanding of God's kingdom. This has become really important to me, especially over the last couple of years. And really a vision for living out the kingdom is one of the main reasons why we started a house church network. There's a lot of confusion about what practical difference following Jesus makes for everyday lives. A couple of years ago, I had a friend who asked this harrowing question of me. He worked with inner city youth and he said, Austin, I would share the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection with these inner city youth, but I can't think of what difference it would actually make in their lives. What difference does Jesus' ministry, does the Christian faith actually have for someone who's disenfranchised, whose parents are in prison, who are in a lower socioeconomic class? What hope does it actually bring? Why would I share that, my faith with them in, in general? I also get versions of this from people who are deconstructing their faith, people who would say, um, Austin, it's really hard to hold on to belief in Jesus. I want to, but I cannot imagine how to actually practice that faith. There's so much tension between following Jesus in the church and the culture that I live around that I can't make sense of how to live out my faith in the everyday. And rather than see the good that following Jesus would give to them in their practical everyday lives, uh, the tension grows to be too much and they step out of the faith entirely. And it's really not that people hate Christianity or hate Jesus. I don't believe that the main reason that people step out of faith is because they hate the church. I actually think that it's because they can't make sense of what difference it would make for their lives to follow Jesus in the here and now. So why bother? It's not that they're opposed to Jesus. It's that they just have an extreme apathy. And the kingdom of God addresses really all of these questions. Many of us, we will have attended Christian events. We will have done Christian things. We will know how to fit into a Christian culture. But the kingdom of God takes relationship with Jesus and following him to the deeper places of our heart and to our actions. It goes beyond attending Christian events, doing Christian things, and fitting a Christian culture. The kingdom of God invites us into a Christian lifestyle. That's why I think I've come to love Jesus' teachings on the kingdom of God so much. It was his primary message. 
both in Matthew and Mark, Jesus comes onto the scene in his public ministry, um, a, a, arrives and declares the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This was a primary message that he carried throughout his ministry was the good news of the kingdom. In saying the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying it's here, it's among us, that we actually need to change the way we think about living and our actions to adjust them, to be in alignment with the reign and the rule of God right here and right now. We see this clearly in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come on earth, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Put simply, the kingdom of God is important because Jesus did not come to earth to get you into heaven. He came to earth to get heaven into you. The kingdom of heaven is here. Starting with Jesus, Jesus says that it is at hand. The kingdom is among us. And if God's kingdom is here on earth, if Jesus is establishing it on earth as it is in heaven, then you can participate in that kingdom now. Then faith in Jesus, if that's the case, will have some kind of practical implication for your life. And when you come to understand this message of the kingdom, you can make sense of the practical good that Christian religion brings to the disenfranchised, relationship with Jesus brings to the marginalized, and will break off layers of apathy in our hearts simply by understanding how to live a Christian lifestyle. So to understand the Sermon on the Mount, to live into it, we need to understand the kingdom. We need to understand how to receive the kingdom and to live a Christian lifestyle. Now, the concept of the kingdom, it's not easily understood. Admittedly, this is an ancient concept. Even just a few weeks ago, we saw Prince Charles in England become King Charles in a ceremony that really, I don't think any modern or current day person understood. I mean, here's an example of a king in a kingdom that is only a thousand years old, these traditions and rituals that we saw King Charles go through in his coronation. And they were completely confusing to us. I mean, he was carted through the streets of London in a carriage drawn by horses. He was surrounded by hundreds of military members in garbs and feather hats and swords and trumpets. And when he arrived to the cathedral, he was greeted by an archbishop in vestries and uh, vestments and was brought underneath this uh, ancient canopy of cloth to go through a liturgy that's a thousand years old to be anointed on his head to receive a crown with a lot of symbols that are outdated. And then uh, he was presented to the public as, as king. I mean, this is how difficult it can be to understand a king in a kingdom in our current day. And so we need to look at, and this King Charles rituals were are only a thousand years old. Jesus is talking about establishing the kingdom of God in a 2000 year old paradigm. And so we, we, we want to take a look here for a minute at a framework for how, for how to understand kings and kingdoms 
as Jesus would have understood it and how to understand what he meant when he said the kingdom of, of God is at hand, because uh, it is not just second nature to us as Americans in a liberal democratic society um, to understand kings and kingdoms. So I'm going to go to Scott McKnight, and he's a really helpful biblical scholar who says that uh, kingdoms are made up of four components. If we're to understand the kingdom of God, then we need to understand these four components. Every kingdom has a king, a law, a land, and citizens. Every kingdom has a king, law, land, and citizens. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, who is the king of this kingdom of God? Well, for us, this is the easiest Sunday school answer. We would say Jesus is the king of the kingdom. God reigns in heaven. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. God reigns completely in heaven. He is totally in charge. In heaven, this spiritual reality, God's reign is uncontested. Everything he wants to have happen happens and it happens immediately. But we are here on earth. Heaven is a spiritual reality. Earth is physical and spiritual. And here on earth, God's reign is contested. Jesus, as the king of the kingdom, is coming in, as we read in the gospel of Matthew, and is leading the chart and establishing the reign and the rule of God. Just as God reigns in heaven, so Jesus is establishing his reign here on earth, even though it's contested. So Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, leading the charge of establishing God's reign in our contested world. That's the king. So who? what is the law? Each society has governing laws. You think about the American constitution. Well, what's the law of the kingdom of heaven? We could say the Bible. Some people, when asked this question, immediately think the Ten Commandments. And certainly Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the Old Testament law, but came to fulfill it. We, we could look to the teachings of Jesus to say, um, you know, the teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, things like um, don't, um, don't lust with your heart or don't fast in, in public. Um, we could say that those are the law in the kingdom of God. And, and certainly all of those things would, would be applicable and we could be considered God's law, but it is very confusing and almost completely overwhelming to think about knowing everything that Jesus taught in every instance of life to follow the rule of God in every moment. So more specifically, Jesus gives us a very helpful, concrete, one-word answer to his law. Jesus says, you can sum up the law and the prophets in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Put very simply, the law in the kingdom of God is love. And not love as defined by any group of people or any institution. It's love as defined by Jesus himself in his self-sacrifice on the cross. When we self-sacrifice, for the benefit of God and for the benefit of others, then we are living the law of love as Jesus has modeled for us. So Jesus is the king. Love is the law. But what is the land? I mean, this is very confusing. If God is establishing the reign of heaven here on earth, then where does that reign actually extend practically? 
Well, if we were to look at King Charles and King Charles or the Parliament of England were to pass a law or were to put a new decree or law to codify it, it would not just extend this new law across the the island of of England or of the island of of Great Britain. It would extend across the entire empire. It would extend all the way to the British Virgin Islands in the Caribbean. If Parliament in London were to pass a new law, then it would change the way that people live and act in some islands in the Caribbean. And so very practically, the kingdom of God, the land and the realm where it extends to is wherever what God's will is done. Wherever God's will is done, there his reign and realm exists. Wherever people do what God actually desires to happen, that is the land and the realm in the kingdom of God. I also like to think of this as an example, like Jeff Bezos, if he were still the CEO of Amazon, you know, uh, headquartered in Seattle, if he were to give a company policy about employees, you know, a new employee policy, that would not just exist there in the headquarters in Seattle, that would be implemented all the way here in Lexington, Kentucky, in the local Amazon plant. In a sense, his kingship would be extended. His land and realm would be extended all the way to Lexington and that little Amazon plant. So wherever what God desires to have happen happens, that's where he reigns and rules. Wherever we do what God desires, wherever our feet are planted, there God's land is. So who are the citizens? In the kingdom of God, Jesus is the king, love is the law, land is wherever God's will is done, and the citizens are those who actually follow Jesus and do what he asks of them. They are those of us who do what Jesus taught and modeled. They are disciples. Disciples are the citizens in the kingdom of God. And we only participate in God's kingdom at hand. If through the life in the spirit, the grace and the love of God, we actually attempt to live a life in obedience. When we obey Jesus, this actually closes the gap between nominal Christianity and discipleship. When we obey Jesus, we step out of attending Christian events, doing Christian things, and fitting into a Christian culture. We step out of that, and we actually step into a Christian lifestyle. We step into discipleship. And discipleship is incredibly important for our house churches because our vision for house church is a growth of a Christian community. If we were to, if as house churches, if we were to grow as Christian communities, then it won't be because we rely on programming or production or marketing or celebrity. If we were to see fruit, then it won't be manufactured fruit through business models of church. It will be genuine fruit. If we were to see fruit at all, it must be genuine fruit that is born out of each one of us receiving the love of God and then looking to love people in our everyday lives. If we were to see genuine fruit come out of our house church communities, it will be the result of people living a life of discipleship, learning to obey Jesus and to do the things that he would do if he were in our shoes. House church is a model that will not bypass our own obedience and discipleship 
in receiving the kingdom of God. We cannot manufacture kingdom life. It must be received in our willingness to follow Jesus. And this fits our, our vision for awakening. We say that we exist to awaken the world to the reality of Jesus. And, and we say that that awakening happens, societal awakening happens when God moves so deeply in the hearts of men and women on such a broad scale that the culture of an entire region shifts to look more like the kingdom of heaven. So we want each pe- person to encounter the presence of Jesus. And we want this to happen on such a broad scale that the hearts of men and women change, that our actions change in such a way that the culture of an entire region actually shifts to look more like the kingdom of heaven. So put very simply, our vision for awakening is a vision of receiving the kingdom. Vision for awakening, societal awakening is a vision that is declaring the kingdom of God is at hand and it is at hand in power. And for awakening to happen, it won't be the result of the perfect programming. It won't be the result of a celebrity pastor coming to the forefront. It won't be the power of a marketing scheme that can carry this kind of move of God. We believe that the kingdom will be received in power, that we will experience the reign and the rule of God in a way that shifts our neighborhoods, our families, our our city, and our state. It will only happen within the big C church when we each wake up to the love of God and the mission that Jesus has for us. Each person stepping into a life of discipleship living out kingdom principles in relationship with Jesus and in the power of the spirit. Our vision for awakening comes when each of us wakes up to the presence of God and is activated to live in discipleship in service to the church and a mission in the world. Only when the spirit fills our entire community to carry the love of God, will we see real life and real fruit come from our gatherings and our Christian fellowship come out of our house churches. And so that's why I'm excited for the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most concentrated block of teaching on the kingdom of God in the Gospels. It gives definition to what living out our faith looks like, what dispositions we need to take on, what actions we can step into, and what we can avoid that would keep us from living within this kingdom. This summer, we are going to also focus on consecration. We're going to have a time of consecration that starts in mid-June and that stretches through the end of July. The word consecration means set apart. It's when something is consecrated, you you set it apart. You wash it clean, change your, your actions you, in order to receive something holy in order to receive the the holy presence of God. You step out of normal living and into a set apart lifestyle to receive holiness of God and the love of God, the sacredness of God. The Sermon on the Mount shows us how to be consecrated in our lifestyle as people of the kingdom, how to be different as disciples from the surrounding culture, set apart for God. And so from mid-June through the end of July, we are going to invite everyone in the house churches into a time of fasting, fasting from things. They don't have to be things that are explicitly sinful. Consecration is often giving up things that are good, but simply to create space for meeting with with God in our everyday lives. 
for some of us, it'll give up uh, casual drinking or desserts. Others of us will will give up things like Netflix or even whole meals in an ongoing basis in order to create space for meeting with God. If awakening is really going to happen, the kingdom will be received in power because we step into a life of love and discipleship, each of us, then it will not come without cost. It will come with inconvenience at times. It will come at times with suffering where we put aside our desires in order to do the things that Jesus is asking of us in order to love our neighbors, to disciple the people around us. It will bring us into genuine sacrifice on behalf of the good of God and of others. This time of consecration and studying the Sermon on the Mount is our attempt to step into being a consecrated community, a community willing to be inconvenienced, to receive the love and the kingdom of God. And so that's why I'm excited for the Sermon on the Mount and excited to have this podcast series released over these next few weeks. Um, God is calling us to be a community set apart, consecrated for his kingdom and his love. Excited to go on this journey with you. Thanks for listening in. Love you guys. Goodbye. Thank you.